Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Autism podcast. I am Michelle Davey and this is, is my co-host. Ben. Okay, hello, Christelle. Back into our recording zone. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thank you very much. And how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to see you this weekend. Super excited, as usual. Oh, I was thinking, sure, I was thinking, I was thinking when are you going to see me this weekend? Yeah, I'll, obviously, it's always a pleasure, Mish. Always I know. It's a pleasure to be in your presence. <laughs> so charming, aren't you? I am. I am. Yeah. And speaking of charming, we have been approached by a charming new guest, new contributor. Where's the new sound? Guest. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. <laughs> So we have got new guest Rick. Rick is coming on to speak to us. He was diagnosed with Asperger's and PDA, which we've covered before, haven't we, Chris? And it's always a really, really popular, actually, episode that we've covered is PDA. They're one of our most um, popular episodes. Remember, Chris, that they say that PDA can only be diagnosed in certain, or it's only diagnosed, wasn't it, in certain counties? Yeah, I remember that. It's been a while since we've done PDA, but like you said, it is one of our... Yeah, popular episodes, yeah. Yeah. And also, as well, with PDA, we've never actually spoke to anybody that has PDA and has been diagnosed with it. We spoke oh, okay. to parents of children. So this will be super interesting. And oh, yes. also, Rick wants to talk to us. He's at university and he's going to talk to us about uni life, basically, and about masking and, and how, you know, life as a guy with Asperger's fits into that and his journey. Okay, okay. I want to know a little bit more about Asperger's because... Whenever, whenever I hear about it, people always say, oh, you're not supposed to say Asperger's. Is, this, is it just another word for autism? Well, I think as well, it's one of these things. It's a bit like with, with the whole like PDA thing. I think now it's become a thing that certain counties don't, for some reason, use this. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out a bit more here, Christelle. This is what we're doing. Mm. We're learning. As Christelle and I always say, we are not the experts. So let's get on, Rick, and, and find out more. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Autism and Additional Needs podcast. Really, really excited to welcome on Ricky. Hello, Ricky. Hello, no, I'm excited to be here. Oh. <laughs> Ricky. Sorry. <laughs> Christelle's going to keep saying that the whole way through. Really sorry, everybody <laughs> who has a name of Richard, Rick or Ricky. <laughs> Ricky, we are so, so honoured that you reached out to us. Yeah. And, you know, you said you listen to the podcast and yep. you want to come and share your journey. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey uh, and we'll go from there. Okay, cool. Well, no, first of all, yeah, I listened to your podcast. It's amazing. I thought, you know what, the lack of support I've had growing up with like professionals and like other people's experiences, I want to help someone. If one person can listen to this and get something from that in their journey, then you know what, like the information's free in my head. So I want to share it. So yeah, so I'm 21, currently studying at London South Bank University in my final year of business. And I have a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome and PDA. And for those who don't know, PDA is pathological demand avoidance. And I got my diagnosis quite luckily at the age of 11. So over the years, it's led me to like research it and understand it's kind of become like my part-time hobby, if you like, like just learning to know about myself kind of thing. And what led to the diagnosis when you was 11? And were you diagnosed for both Asperger's and PDA at the same time? Yeah, so a lot of things led to that diagnosis. My behaviour in school, my behaviour at home, the meltdowns, the the friendships, the everything. My parents knew something was wrong. So yeah, they spoke to my school and then were like, God, we're like, no, he's just naughty. He's just naughty. You get naughty kids like this. And my parents were like, no, there's something 
your parents know kind of thing don't they like they live with you the most so yeah they took me to loads of NHS said no everyone was saying no he's just naughty because of masking which we'll get onto later in the podcast everyone looked at me and thought is it's just naughty and my parents had to go privately and I don't know who's familiar with the Elizabeth Newton Centre here it's where they originally diagnosed PD and where PD was found um so I got diagnosed there at the age of 11. Is that no, here in London? It's in Nottingham Okay. And no one knew about it. The school didn't know about it. My mum had to educate people. It was a very newly found condition. I think it was, I don't know the exact date, but early 2000s it was, it came about. Because Christelle and I were talking about this because when we have done a couple of episodes on PDA, certain counties just still don't even recognise it as a thing, do they? And it used to be like oppositional demand disorder or something like that. Yeah, there's a lot of names for it, yeah. I don't know, for those who don't know what it is, it's, from, from my experience anyway, is resisting the ordinary demands of life so that could be demands that I have to do let's say do this exam by this date or demands I want to do I want to do my washing but they're all still demands and the anxiety faced with that demand is basically that condition. Thanks so much for telling us about that I never knew about it was it Elizabeth Newton Centre did you say? Yeah Elizabeth Newton Centre and that's where they started diagnosing it but I recently rang them up because I wanted to like give back or something and I think they said they don't actually deny, diagnose it as a individual disorder it's a profile of ASD now so yeah so you said you're Asperger's yeah. okay now that's another sort of thing that sometimes that like with my son when he was diagnosed when he was free yeah. I said is it Asperger's because I sort of taught children at this point um because he used to be a teacher or oh, I am yeah. a teacher again because uh, <laughs> I was like Rah! I thought so, you quit you because you said you said I used to be. I thought when did you I quit? Know. I didn't. I haven't got sacked for anything. No, I'm still teaching. But you know, when I was teaching before, there was children that had Asperger's diagnosis yeah. or they had autism diagnosis. And then when my son got diagnosed, I was like, oh, "Would you say it was Asperger's?" Though? And they were like, "Oh, we don't, we don't say that anymore." What? <laughs> That's it. I know. I what, what's the difference though? What is the difference? I don't want to use like false signs, but Asperger's tends to seem as a high, more higher functioning than okay. autism spectrum disorder. I think that's. Mm. That's yeah. what, yeah, I kind of went along that line and said, oh, is he high function? They said, we don't use high function, low function labels before. And obviously now that we've spoke to autistic adults that have come on and yeah. explained that to us when we kind of went on our learning journey with this, I, I kind of get that now. Like, I do get that. I understand that completely. Like obviously my son can, you know, he's got speech, but yet he can't get himself dressed, which is obviously in terms of if we were using those sort of high, low function labels, that's where that kind of middle ground is there isn't it you know that gray area there yeah I think like like everyone's autistic like experience is very different and that's why I get why people don't want to use labels for this and that it makes it difficult to like establish but I don't know it's a weird one isn't it yeah but for you now you're 11 did your mum and dad tell you because you were you were obviously getting these labels oh you're just naughty you're just naughty and your mum and dad fought your corner amazingly there and now, did you feel like how, what, what happened? Did they tell you? Like, did you know what was going on? Like, what happened after that? Yeah, see, they, they told me, but I don't, I don't think I really understood what it meant until I was about 16, 17. And then when I was experiencing, like, it got worse through school, like, my experiences. And then, like, I was in SEN, there's like special needs in school and all this. And I kind of began to understand slowly what my condition was and what it meant for the way I was behaving but no I didn't really understand when they told me at first so I was just like whatever it, I described it to people as like growing up was like banging my head against a brick wall like everything in my head was right of why I was making these decisions but everyone was telling me what I was doing was wrong and I was getting punished for it 
and that's that's mainly the way I could describe it if I had to. So that must have been really frustrating. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating, which caused the meltdowns, and you know, you've this overwhelming and all that stuff that goes with it. Yeah, I just yeah. want to touch on PDA again. Yeah, so I really, I really want to understand it because I think we've spoken to parents of children. Yeah. who have been diagnosed with PDA, but not actually spoken to someone who has PDA. So I'm just trying to understand it a little bit more. So, for instance, if I said okay. to you, pass me the remote control. Okay. So, yeah, how does, what happens? What happens? Okay, so I process that demand as such. And I think, okay, I'd separate into, you're my friend, I want to do this because, like, you want to watch and it's my best interest to to maintain that friendship so here just have the remote it's over in two seconds whereas then let's say if it wasn't someone that's my friend and I was thinking I don't want to do this because why should I then I wouldn't do it and I would necessarily like be petty about it or like you know like it always depends on that but Mm. if it was a demand as such like so from the moment I wake up right I've got this list of demands in my head that I've got to do and it's a lot like it's a lot of things to process but some of them are deeper than others for example I've got to write this assignment by I don't know the next five days I don't want to do it I don't I don't need to I can delay it another day um this is just going to cause my anxiety but once I start it it's almost like I enjoy the demand it's it's more the demand to start the thing than actually once you started to complete it that's what my experience is anyway so I find for coping mechanisms making a list helps so I make a list every week what I need to do or if it's a busy day I'll make a list on the day I think everyone does that, neurotypical people as well. But sometimes making this list can extenuate these demands because now I've got a list of demands that I have to complete. But if I don't do that, then I can't stay organised, you know? Thank you for explaining that because it is just helpful for us to understand what it is that we're talking about. And obviously, Day, you mentioned uni and assignments and I was a bit the same, you know, once I get an assignment, I do want to do it, but it's just getting started, which is the issue. It's such an issue. Um, but is there any help that you receive also in uni? You always used to copy my homework at school. Because you had <laughs> no, so there's a couple of points in this. So I haven't actually told my university about my condition. Ah. Is essentially the main reason is due to masking and the work I've done over the years to be considered neurotypical because as soon as I tell someone with a condition, I get treated differently. And to learn in this world as a neurodivergent person you can't be getting treated with oh here's extra time here's this here's oh you can be excused blah 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 you need to learn how a neurotypical would learn and that's the only way I've learned through these years it's one of the reasons I don't really tell people about my condition that will treat me differently I'll tell my friends because I know necessarily they won't yeah and another reason is because the support is limited what are they going to do to yeah maybe give me an extra five days on my assignment that's still not going to take away the demand when I actually reach that deadline you know so no I haven't reached out to them I haven't got support and when I when school did know about it because of the limited knowledge there is with PDA that what support you know what support can they give like and that's one of the reasons I haven't really yeah I know maybe I should maybe I shouldn't I don't know <laughs> but you explained it well I think um, for everyone it's, it's different isn't it like yeah. yeah because before I used to work as a support worker in uh, universities and some of the students I was supporting some of them would say to me sit at the back like don't don't think to me they didn't want people to know um, and that they're receiving support whereas some of them were like yeah sit right next to me you know so it's different for everyone's experience is different 
everyone's Com- own journey isn't it yeah mm-hmm. completely yeah so you mentioned friendships as well there so have yeah. some have you told some of your friends you've gone to university how yeah. throughout your life even before university have you found making friends you know socializing how is what is that like in your life okay so it's a very difficult one so from about the age of as long as I can remember was thrown into school at the age of three till about 16 was probably the hardest time in my life with friends because it was constantly making mistakes it was not knowing what to say it was upsetting people because I wasn't saying the right things it was not giving empathy because I didn't understand it it was a whole range of things of just we're we're in two different worlds and it just it wasn't working I was losing friendships after a year I couldn't maintain them and it was only until about 17 18 where obviously I'd master so much and learn okay I had a bad experience I can't do this in the future I should do this I should say this to make this person feel better in this situation this is what I see this is how I act this is how I don't act and it was only then and I still do it now is how I keep friendships and I've just learned how to do that and it's you can't describe it as fake because you're not being real you're not being your authentic self but to keep friendships and to keep acquaintances and work you have to almost be this person that's normal to everyone else are you masking then masking that's it it's literally masking and it just gets stronger and stronger as I grow up because I learn what's right and what's wrong and do you sometimes get tired of masking of masking Jesus Christ it's a hard one because it's mm. it's exhausting it's from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep it is it is actually exhausting and my coping mechanism is masking is to have some time by myself um and if anyone out there is listening that is masking themselves I suggest writing like down things you enjoy so for mine it's listening to my favorite music it's watching my favorite films dancing in my room it's having that alone time don't over stimulate yourself with social situations or or work because you feel like you have to you need that time alone and you need to recover sleep as well is a massive thing for me so in my daily daily week I need about 12 hours sleep if I'm going to mask the next day. And it can make you seem socially advanced and comfortable in all situations so people don't see you as stressed or whatever. But if you mask too much, it leads to meltdowns and the screaming, the crying, the anxiety, the everything. If you don't, if you mask too much and exhaust yourself, then it's just, it's not good. And do you ever get to that point, Ricky? A couple of times, yeah. Recently, university, probably like once or twice a year, I get like that. And it's not, it's not fun, obviously, but... I'm starting to learn when I'm feeling that way and when I need to remove myself from situations. So I'll go back home to my family, I'll visit them, where masking is very, so slim because they understand me, you know. Um, do you ever feel like, actually, kind of, I just, that you just want to be, you do, you want to be Ricky, you don't <laughs> want to mask, you just sometimes yeah. feel like, right, this is it, like, today is the day I go in and I, I'm just me? Yep, authentically me, that's it, like, I just want to be. And... I've come in situations with my house, like the people I live with, I've lived with them for three years and I'll just like be stupid or I'll be offensively autistic in quotation marks, which is screaming or like just like being stupid, like singing, like, you know, all the things that I think, okay, I won't keep a friendship if I do that. But I think they've learned to deal with me being like that. And for me, it has a positive impact on my mental health because I feel like I can be myself here at home. Yeah. Is that one of the things you think that, like from your point of view, Ricky, is that you think maybe if they see you like yeah. Asperger's yeah. authentic Ricky, that perhaps they might not want to be your friend. You've hit the nail on the head, right? That's exactly it. And that's coming from trauma of 
school friendships yeah. and all that that when I've been like that then I can't keep a friend so I've got to act that way I think it's just about having the right support group around you I think that's the main thing is being comfortable with the people that you're around to be able to be authentically yourself and I think that's the main the main thing with being having an ASD like diagnosis or PDA or Asperger's is having people you can be around that you feel safe and I think safety main key to and do you feel like you've got that with some of the people you've met at uni to an extent at this age I feel like I've had the most safety around me obviously there's times I don't feel safe and stuff but I've learned to surround myself with safety well I feel like we should call this advice with Ricky because he's given us experiences but he's also at the same time giving us advice well not us but you know people advice on how to cope with things I feel very relaxed at the moment. What about you, Mish? Yeah, amazing. Amazing young man. Ricky, can oh. I ask you something? When yeah. you're at uni, yep. okay, now, one of the things when people go, oh, you're uni, your uni days, you think clubs, bars, drinking, yeah. Student drinking union. Games. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, I was looking at me like, no, that wasn't my fault. But <laughs> that that's the kind of stereotype of uni, isn't it, for yeah. youngsters? How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Anyone it's a baby so (laughs) it's a little bit younger than me (laughs) so Ricky how does that incorporate into your life no you take part in those sort of things or is that where you step back kind of thing like how how's how's that side of uni for you that social aspect you've got me excited because that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today (laughs) because it's been a massive massive part of my journey and still is so since Comentini, I drank alcohol for about a year before. But since Comentini, it's just, obviously, you're, you're surrounded by it. It's the culture. It is the freshers. It's the going out. It's the it's it's around you. You can't escape it. And the more I explored it, the more I became kind of self-medicating towards it, if that makes sense. Because this was an, a drug. It is a drug that allowed me to relax in social situations. It allowed me to have a break from masking so I always say my only break from masking is sleeping or drinking alcohol because it it takes those inhibitions away from you I don't have to think what do I have to say in this situation how do I have to act and the more the more I've done it over the years it's just become I don't want to say I'm an alcoholic but in a sense I am because it's become prevalent and it's a sad thing to talk about for me especially but it's I don't know how to talk about it without using the wrong words but it's a coping mechanism that works because I haven't found one yet. It's something that I struggle with and it's something that I'm trying to find better coping mechanisms with, which is a hard thing to do because I always say that people with ADHD, they have like medications prescribed to them or whatever, but people with ASD, they, they don't have anything. It's, it's coping mechanisms online or you have to pay for it. And alcohol is such a free, easy, accessible, incorporated into our everyday lives that allows us to almost just live our lives. So I found myself drinking before work to go to work or um, drinking after uni or drinking in the living room to socialise with friends and life just became so much easier. It was like this break, it was like this sigh of relief that I could just be how I was and not necessarily had to be blackout drunk, but just enough that I could engage in conversation Mm. about my overactive mind going. It's a concerning thing and I think amongst other adults with ASD diagnosis or even undiagnosed that consume alcohol regularly might have an underlying diagnosis that they're not aware of and I think it's a pattern from the research I've done anyway so okay so is that still prevalent in your life now or is it something because I know you said 
um, about that. But actually, you know, that, you know, it's something that you want to address. But I think you, you're saying it, you know, you're a young man, but you're actually identifying. Yeah, you enjoy it, but actually you're at a point where you know, you know, you're you're using alcohol to help you mask in a way or let yourself free in yep. a way. Um, so you, you, I know, you, I don't think you should be too hard on yourself, Ricky, because you've identified that yourself there, that, yeah. you know, that that is something that you want to change, which I think it is really great for someone to to identify that and and say, actually, no, do you know what? <laughs> I don't think I realised that till I was about 36. So, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen us at the awards. Christelle was absolutely steaming. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I feel like when you tell people around you at this stage, it's you're young, you're having fun, you're at uni, it's fine. Like that's it. But in my mind, I'm kind of recognizing it as, but this is like a lifetime thing I could see myself doing just to cope. It's not just, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the more I think in my brain, I can actually function better with alcohol than without it but obviously it's just going to get progressively worse and like I've heard stories of people they develop all sorts they can pass away from it it's, it's a disease and it's yeah it, I don't want to get into I want to fix it while I'm 21 you know which yeah. is something myself anyway so yeah and have you reached out and told anybody else this Ricky yeah my family and um, my friends know and good I've been couple of AA meetings and I've been to therapy and again therapy hasn't really worked because I did it for eight months, but I need an autistic therapist, not a neurotypical, because yeah. I found myself educating them, and it wasn't really, it, it did, it, it didn't work. It worked to an extent, but yeah, I'm, I'm exploring. I'm, I'm trying to sort that out myself, but yeah, we'll so see. You're in, a, you're in a good place. You've got a good support network. Yeah, yeah, that's mm. great. That is great to hear. We wish you the best of luck on the rest of your journey. Yeah, you know, and thank you for opening up to us and. We know that definitely um, it's definitely going to help many people out there. That's the main thing. Yeah, so you should be proud of yourself. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And you've got to come back on and talk to us again, aren't you? And share us a little bit more. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Ricky. Where can we find you if people want to follow you, if you want them to follow you? If you don't want them to follow you, don't worry. Just say, no, I don't want any followers. Just say I'm Ricky. (laughs) Well, Mainly to anyone that is struggling with their condition or diagnosis, whether that's any diagnosis, whether anything I said today can relate to whatever you want advice on is my Instagram is R-I-X-K dot white. Literally DM me, I'll be more than happy to help, whether that's a phone call or whatever. Like I I just want to give back because my parents have convinced me. So like I'd love to help someone else. So yeah. yeah. Well done if to you your want... parents. <laughs> thank you. <Yeah. laughs> oh, thank you so much, Ricky. And Ricky will be back. <laughs> He's Thanks told us now. He's signed. He's signed on the bottom line that he's going to be back to um, do another podcast with us. And thanks so much, Ricky. And we wish you all the best. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Take care.